SAFM. Very good day to you, Mzansi, from me, Shadow Twala. You're listening to Otherwise Talking Women on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My producer is Hazel Makuzeni, and our technical producer for the day is Lance Andrews. Our contact details are 0892102010. Email otherwise at safm.co.za. Tweets at otherwise safm or at Shadow Twala. Now, today we're talking about home birthing or unassisted home births with Shirley Ervi, who is a doula, which is a childbirth companion, from Wombs, Women Offering Mothers Birth Support, uh, which promotes better births through informed choices and puts families first. You may remember the discussion we had previously with Shirley on homeschooling. So we discover that she doesn't only homeschool her six children, but home birth them as well with hubby Riam catching the babies on arrival. Before we talk to Shirley, though, I thought we'd do our lunch bite on on birthing. Being born is important. Being born is important. You who have stood at the bedposts and seen a mother on her high harvest day, the day of the most golden of harvest moons for her, you who have seen the new wet child dried behind the ears, swaddled in soft, fresh garments, pursing its lips and sending a groping mouth towards the nipple where white milk is ready. You who have seen this love's payday of wild toil and sweet agonizing, you know being born is important. You know, nothing else was ever so important to you. You understand the payday of love is so old, so involved, so traced with the circles of the moon, so cunning with secrets of the salt of the blood. It must be older than the moon, older than the salt. Otherwise, on SAFM. Shirley Ervy is my guest and we're talking about um, home births and, and pregnancy and giving birth at home if you prefer. Shirley, hi and thank you for your time again. Hello Shadow, thank you for having me. Listen, I want to know how your mind is wired because, you know, I'm discovering little gems about you all the time. <laughs> Not only do you homeschool your children, but because you've got six. Did you home birth all six or five of them? Uh, the first one was in hospital and then five were born at home. Um, can I just interrupt? I just need to give a this came here and said that anything I say in your show is my own personal view that I'm not representing wombs in any official capacity this afternoon. You're not representing womb and yeah. we also do a disclaimer that these are your ideas and not ours too. Yes. And everybody at the beginning I think we should say that everybody before we tell them what we're telling them have to consult their GP. Yes, they must get professional medical advice. Fantastic. So, now tell me, welcome. Your first child was in a hospital, and what made you change your mind about the, the last five? Um, I think with my first one, I what happened was I read a book that was about active birthing. Mm-hmm. And this birth book convinced me that not interfering in birth would be the best way to have my baby. But at the time, being a young mother and having heard horror stories from other women who'd had to have medical intervention, I felt it would be wise to rather go to the hospital. And there was nobody offering um, midwifery services in Hermanus, which is where I live at the time. Mm-hmm. So my choice was um, private medical care or the state hospital. And I was told that um, the midwives in the state hospital are very um, experience and I wanted a midwife, not a, a GP or a gynae. Mm. And so that was the option that I went for. And under the circumstances, I think I had a very good birth. 
you know, in, the, in that setting because I was able to get through labor without any medical, um, you know, intervention. It was just a normal, natural, unmedicated birth. But what and were your concerns at the beginning? I mean, for you to do a bit of research and ask questions around, which a lot of people don't do, by the way. They just go to their doctor, know yes. that they're pregnant and worry about the status of the child in the womb and, and then, you know, find the best possible advice from their GP or gynae to deliver the child. So why did you doubt that system or what were your concerns? I don't think I had doubts. Um, I think I was actually just blessed to have friends who were informed and who had attended antenatal classes and who passed on books and materials to me. And I'm the kind of person that likes to research whatever phase of life I'm going into. Mm -hmm. And so I started reading and I became more informed. And that was what made me decide not to just, you know, do the done thing and go and hand myself over to the medical profession because I think that's what people do. They put their trust in a doctor or somebody to make the decisions for them. Mm -hmm. And often those people have a different agenda to the mother herself. And so I think my, I'm passionate about helping women to make informed choices concerning their pregnancy, their birth, even raising your children. You know, if you don't know your options, you kind of don't have any. Mm -hmm. They're going to be dictated to you by the system that you place yourself in. Mm. And, and I've read too many stories of women who describe what they went through even as traumatically as using words like birth rape because they felt completely unempowered mm. and they felt that they, ha they had no say in what was done to them and what happened to them. Mm. Mm. And it was, I think it's partly because of you know, the system and also partly perhaps because they were not informed and they didn't make choices. I, I don't know. I mean, each situation is different, but those are things that do happen to some women. I know, because I, I think all of us don't or, or don't know we can take responsibility. In fact, all of us just don't like taking responsibility for ourselves. It's easier just to hand over to somebody and pay them some money. Well, I think also there's a, a cultural view that, you know, doctors and gynees are, are the experts. But they are experts in certain fields. But for instance, I believe personally that a midwife is an expert in natural birth. A gynae does a lot of other medical procedures and he understands a lot of other things about women and how their bodies work. And not all of them are experts at natural birth. Some of them have very little training in that, but they're very good at doing surgical birth. They know how to handle complications and traumatic events, but something like, um, say, a breach or something, they, they don't feel confident to do it, so they'll rather cut and do a cesarean then allow a mother to birth a baby in a breech position mm. in, in a hospital. It's, it's mm. very rare that that happens nowadays. And then, of course, we, we have uh, other cultural connotations that go into it, and which makes me wonder what sort of conversation then you started having with your husband and how okay was he? Because he's not only just a, a bystander, but he, he's, he was also active in making sure that you know, the two of you bring these children into the world through, through the, the home birth system. Yeah. So what sort of conversation were you having or did you start having with your husband? Um, I think I started sharing with him, you know, the information that I was reading about how the less interference there is in birth, the better. And then we started talking about, well, what, all the what ifs, you know, what if this and what if that and what are the risk factors. And we just came to the conclusion that if something was not right, we lived close enough to a hospital that we would go in, that would be plan B. 
and we had read some books. I got a book especially for, for the fathers who, of um, women who choose unassisted birth. It was recommended to me. It was actually a little book written for ambulance men and firefighters by a medical doctor in the event that they would be with a woman and she gave birth and they were not in a hospital situation. So mm -hmm. it explained how to handle it. And so once we had, were equipped with that knowledge, we felt we were willing to take that responsibility. And yes, there's a risk of, you know, an unpleasant outcome, but that even is an, a risk in hospitals. Whether you're in hospital or out of hospital, there is always a risk that something might happen and something might go wrong. But we just felt we were willing to take on that responsibility and do it ourselves and hope for the best. And during that time, did you have consultation with uh, your medical practitioner or your midwife or your or your gynecologist? Um, no, the reason I didn't have a midwife was because I, I actually had tried to get one for my second birth. Mm -hmm. And when I'd phoned around, nobody was willing to take on a client 130 kilometers away from where they were based at that point in time. Okay. And so that was what led me to then discover unassisted childbirth. And I read up about it online. And um, yeah, eventually, as I say, after you know, getting the information I needed, we, I felt confident to take that decision and say, we will take responsibility ourselves. Now, why, why, is, uh, uh, why is it important? Are, are, the, are the pros and cons, and I know we, we've kind of highlighted what, what could go wrong, um, you know, uh, at, at, at unassisted childbirth. But what are other benefits that come with uh, the experience of, of home birth? Okay, well, for me, it was wanting to have birth my way, wanting to be empowered and not be dictated to people who have to follow the protocols of the hospital system. So it gave me the opportunity to control the environment where I would give birth, and I knew that I would feel most comfortable and safe in my own home. Um, and so that was an important factor. And then the other thing that was a big thing just for me personally is just the privacy and the intimacy of not having strangers at birth. You know, you're very vulnerable and exposed in, in that situation, and I, I wanted that, that privacy. And then um, there are just so many benefits of uh, a natural unmedicated birth for both the mother and the baby. And, of course, there was you know, less chance of any intervention um, at home than if you put yourself into the hospital system. I mean, just the first thing that happens when you get into a hospital is they do an internal examination to check how far dilated you are, and then every two hours that process is repeated. Mm -hmm. It's very invasive, and it's very distracting, and it's not always necessary. Not always necessary, but if you are in that situation, what are the sort of questions to ask? What are the sort of questions or how, how do you communicate the fact that you are uncomfortable or that is actually unnecessary? Well, I think when you're in hospital, this is my frustration as a doula when I am with a birthing mother. Because you have put yourself into the hospital system, one has to un understand that there are going to be compromises that you make because you have given them a certain amount of authority over your birth. And, and hospitals have policies and procedures to protect themselves from mistakes made by staff and from lawsuits against them. And, you know, they have their reasons for it. So you, there, there's always that possibility that things are not going to, you're not going to have everything your way. Mm. So I think for me, to, the message to other women is that you must choose your caregiver very carefully and interview them beforehand and make sure that they have the same idea about birth as you have. And ask them questions, what is your cesarean rate? What do you do in this situation, that situation? 
and, and find somebody who seems likely to give you the kind of birth that you want to have. No, you've got to plan the birth you want and then try and have the birth you planned. And yes, sometimes you've got to revert to plan B because things don't always pan out as one hopes. But if you've got the right support, then you're more likely to have the kind of birth that you want. I mean, it's shocking to me that there are some doctors, gynae, CPs, whatever you want to call them, and some hospitals that apparently have a 100% cesarean rate. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't really give women much of an option if they're using those kind of caregivers and service providers. Hmm. So you need to ask up front, otherwise you're just going to become another statistic. And then you decided to become a doula, which is uh, supporting women giving birth. Yes. And, 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 and at this stage as well, we must say that doulas do not perform any medical procedures, right? That's right. We don't. We offer more emotional support and informational support. Okay, so when does one engage a doula? Personally, I think as soon as possible so that you have time to meet with her a couple of times and share ideas and plan your birth and get to know one another because, again, you don't want to have a stranger rocking up at your birth in a situation where you need to feel relaxed and comfortable and not stressed out and not watched. So it's good if you know her and she feels like a friend. And, and, and uh, is the doula very similar to a midwife, or what's the difference? Okay, a midwife does the medical procedures. She takes responsibility for checking you and, you know, assessing how you're progressing. A doula offers continuous support, so she will be with you from when you say you want her to come mm-hmm. until the end of the birth and an hour afterwards. And during that time, she's like, she's like your mother. But often she's better than your mother because a mother comes with her own fears and her own, you know, package of worries about her child and everything. And she may be not up to date with evidence-based research, whereas a a doula is qualified and she's up to date. And her role there is to offer you and your husband emotional support, to give you information, to help you even just take a moment to consider your options if a medical professional says, there's a choice here that needs to be made. There's mm-hmm. an intervention necessary. The doula can just say, remember this, or are you sure you want that? And she's really just there to help you to stick with your birth plan and to give you the support that you need. Because even in the best private hospitals, often you'll start off going in and there'll be one attendant looking after you, and then the shift changes, and then you start over with now a new caregiver who reads your file, checks what was happening, and they often are caring for one or more patients so you're not getting one-to-one attention a doula stays with you the whole time and now doula doula is what what word where does it word come from um it's a greek word Mm -hmm. which refers to women serving women women serving women yes how beautiful is that eh? yeah now (laughs) we talk about the benefits being at least you've got someone there that is as as well as as your mother would be there for you but does more because of also the fact that there's no uh, bloodline coming through the tomb. Yeah. <laughs> you don't maybe have the history you have you, with your mother. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because, you know, moms can, can be in the way sometimes yes. as well. But it, what, what, do I, what is this I hear that if you use a doula, uh, the, the chances are your, your labor is shorter. How does that work? The, uh, yeah, they're very good statistics about that. What, ha- what happens really is that when you are calm and relaxed in labor and not fearful and afraid and stressed, you produce a different set of hormones and those hormones facilitate labor. 
But when you are stressed and afraid and uptight, you produce adrenaline and other hormones that actually slow down labor. And so having a doula with you helps you to feel calm and safe and relaxed. And, and I believe that that is actually the mechanism that um, helps you to have a faster labor. The research um, shows that with the doula, labor is 25% shorter. Wow. Which is a couple of hours of pain that you're going to avoid if you hire a doula. And then um, there are other very impressive statistics too. 30% reduction in the mother's need for medication, a 50% drop in cesarean birth, and a 60% reduction in requests for epidural, and a 40% reduction in forceps delivery. If, if you've had a doula. If you have a doula, yeah. I, I know I asked you when a, a good time is for the doula, but I, I would imagine that as soon as you fall pregnant or confirm your pregnancy is probably the best time as opposed to uh, three months before you deliver. Yes, I, that's what I was saying, so that you can get to know each other and talk about the kind of birth you want and how you're going to make that happen. A doula can also help you and advise you and refer you to antenatal classes and to caregivers, midwives and you know, people who can support you through the pregnancy and through the labor. So they're a good source of information. They're very well connected with other professionals. And even after the birth, you know, they can refer you to lactation consultants and any other consultants that you may need for any situation that um, arises. Can you train dads to be doulas? Um, no, <laughs> I, I have heard of male doulas um, in other countries, but in South Africa, the organization that I have trained through prefers to only train women who have actually had a baby themselves. Okay, so even the, your husband, Rian, yes. ha, has assisted you. Yes. I mean, he may, <laughs> I believe he's a doula already. <laughs> he won't like that title, <laughs> and he says he will not do it for anybody else. <laughs> Okay, okay, because it, it is a bit invasive for, yeah, for, yeah. I can imagine. Um, so I, I, I really, you know, I'm curious about, because I've heard that because of the force of gravity, um, and I want to know if doulas also also uh, encourage this, that in fact a woman should be squatting and standing, which makes it easier, it, it gives an easier birth other than lying on their back. Yes, if you lie on your back, you can actually find diagrams on the internet that show this. You're actually pushing up uphill at an angle to get the baby through the birth canal. So it's actually not, you know, I think it's the worst way to give birth. I did that for my first baby and all the rest I birthed in an upright, semi-standing position. And as you say, gravity definitely helps. Okay, that's why, that's why Rianne yeah. then had to catch as they came out. That, yeah, just about. And, um, you know, that's right. in a hospital, it's the most convenient position for the attendants to have you lying on your back in a bed because then they get the best view and best angle and everything. And But that's not in the best interest of the mother. The hospitals do sometimes allow other positions, but generally you have to ask for anything that's not the normal protocol, you know, even for things like delaying cord clamping, if you would like that option. Generally, they just straight away to get it over and done with because they've got a lot, a lot of other things that they need to attend to. So you would have to say, please wait, please don't do that because most places they just do what's convenient for them. What ought to happen? What's the I, correct I, I procedure? I think delay court, court camping is the healthier option. I think that's the way nature designed birth to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so personally that's my choice. But any mom needs to go and read, you know, what are the other options? Why would you hurry to clamp the cord and you know they must they must make an informed choice 
And, but what are the benefits? You say it's the best way, but what um, are the benefits? Because there's a lot of blood still in the placenta that flows, continues to flow into the baby's body during those few minutes until, and when that process is finished, then the cord goes limp and it goes flat and you can see that it's gone white and pale. There's no more blood left in it. Mm. And then you can cut the cord if you wish to. Some people actually don't, but that's called a lotus birth. But we did cut the cord. And then the baby's got the maximum benefits of all that blood, which is apparently rich in iron and minerals and uh, I'm not too sure of all the medical things, but it's best for babies. What do you mean when you say some people don't cut the cord? Um, there are some cultures that leave the placenta attached to the baby for a couple of days until that cord naturally dries up and falls off, like, like the stump of the umbilical cord that most of us deal with after the birth. Mm. Some people, they store that placenta in a container wrapped in or salted or you know, treated in a way, and they just wait until the natural process happens. Okay, you're going to stay on the line for me. There's so much to talk about, Shirley. You're going to stay on the line for me, please, while we take news headlines. But I'm also going to invite callers who are curious about um, uh, home births and, 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 and the pregnancy up, up to delivery of the child and doing it yourself and the kind of research that you have to go into. Yeah. Um, and we'll ask them to call in on 0892-102010. Well, um, first of all, there's no separation which is very important. A mother can have a baby skin to skin on her chest, which has a whole bunch of benefits um, in itself, including bonding, it benefits feeding and, and all those kind of things. Um, I think that's one of the greatest benefits. Your partner can be as involved as he chooses or not to be. And there's very little interference. There's not people doing a whole lot of checks and filling in paperwork and, and things for you. So you generally have a much more positive birth experience and as a result of that, um, research shows that women who have good birth experiences are less likely to have postpartum depression. Mm. Um, there's no exposure to any hospital-borne infections because a lot of people do pick up um, bacterial infections actually from germs that live in hospitals. Mm. Um, it also costs less um, and then, you know, then say a cesarean birth or any other fancy hospital services that you may, may use. And it's at least as safe as a hospital birth, if not safer, because there's less risk of unnecessary interventions and procedures that can um, cause complications. When should you not have a doula? You should never not have a doula, in my opinion. <laughs> um, well, you know, I'm thinking. I'm thinking here that you know, you you've had great experiences, and uh, I I I think you know it, it, it's good that you have. But there may be people with complications. Then maybe you know a doula is out of the question because you need that medical attention. You need. I, I, I'm not sure what happens after you've given birth to your child. Yes, there's better bonding and stuff, but you need to heal as well. What about that healing process? Do you never go to uh, to seek medical attention for it? Um, well, if you know, childbirth is not a disease. I know. Um, provided you're a healthy woman and you have a healthy birth, you can just go for your six-week checkup. Or if you have a, a midwife and you have a home birth, the midwife will probably come to you after six weeks. Mm. And she, she actually visits you a few days after the birth on a regular basis too, just to check that you and baby are doing well. So, um, yes, you know, I'm not saying people must have unassisted birth like I chose. I think I'm the extreme case mm. that shows that it's possible. But I think for a first-time mother, it's, it's good to have a home birth and hire a midwife and a doula to be with you so that you feel safe that you've got professional care with people who understand birth and who are experienced 
and will recognize any variations of normal. So, so there should always be a doula, really? Well, the research shows that women have better birth experiences when they are supported by other women. So, yes. Specifically other women? Yes, specifically women. Because often the father, although he may have attended classes and that, he's emotionally involved with that mother and he has his own set of fears. And often men have a tendency to want to do something. They, they are analytical and they like to fix things. And in labor, here is a problem. Your wife or your girlfriend or your partner is going through an extremely intense process and you want to fix her pain or fix stuff. And there's actually nothing one can do because it's normal and it's natural and it's just part of the process. And often they feel sort of flustered and helpless and what can I do? And just having a doula there saying you can do this or you can do that or don't say anything, do like this. The doula helps him to support his partner better. But actually I found that even with my own labors, I don't need my husband with me when I'm in labor. He leaves me alone and I labor in solitude somewhere quiet. And when I feel I want him with me, then I call. And with every birth, there came a point where I just felt I don't want to be on my own anymore. He must come now. And that was near to the end. How's your mental state at this point where you've got your doula, you're in labor, uh, husband is there or not there, but there must be something else you hold on to. I always believe that you find a space within yourself that you go to uh, to, to, to go through this. And, yes. and what is that for you? For, for me, it's my faith in my God, my our creator that I believe he's given me this baby. He's created my body, given me the ability to do this. And I believe that he's there with me in that time. Mm. Mm. So, you know, it's a, it's a question of faith and faith that he's going to bring my baby forth and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be healthy and uncomplicated. And so having a faith in a greater power and even people of other religions say they have faith in something, it definitely carries you through. We are spiritual beings and uh, birth is a spiritual process as well as a physiological now, how, how much, how much, uh, how easy is it to get a doula and how much does it cost? Because, you know, when we look at the cost of the hospital, which is an almost guaranteed uh, um, process, albeit, you know, risky as well yeah. at times. But, you know, one looks at the price and thinks, hmm, maybe I'll get a doula and a midwife or maybe I'll just trust the hospital and go there. Well, you know, if you look at the statistics, a doula would save you money if it prevents you, say, having interventions or an unnecessary caesarean. Because I think if a caesarean is in, you know, a ballpark figure, roughly 40,000, you can get a doula um, for about 3,000 rand. So if it's going to save you that expense of a caesarean section, it's well worth it. Mm. Um, and definitely it's going to give you a better birth experience. So I think it's, you know, I often say to people, drop the gynae and get a doula and a midwife <laughs> because you're going to probably pay less and have a healthier and happier birth experience. How does one look for a doula? Where are doulas found? You can search online. There are websites where doulas are listed. Um, otherwise, you'll have to just ask around in sort of the birthing network, ask antenatal teachers, you know. Um, you could even ask your doctor or gynae. Some of them do do are working with doulas. Okay. But um, yeah, just you'll have to Google. Probably that's your best option. So they they're quite easy to find. Yes. They're, they're out there. Yes, they're out there, and most of us don't work as much as we'd like to because the concept of a doula is relatively new, and people don't really realise the benefits of having a doula. Mm. But those that do. Um, never stop talking about it and they are the ones who actually refer their friends and family members 
back to doulas because they experienced the difference it made having somebody there with them that just stood by their side and encouraged them the whole way through. Now, how do we find information, not only about doulas, but, you know, what do we read? Because you said the first time you had read some papers, you did some research. Is there anything that you recommend for mothers-to-be to start reading and, and, and making up their minds about the, the process of birth and, you know, making the right choices? Oh, there's a lot to read. Um, you know, if you're looking for a home birth, then definitely get books that are geared for home birth and that look at those kind of of birth but if you you know if you're just looking for general birth and pregnancy information i'm sure the library will have plenty but the thing for me is that a lot of the mainstream info that's out there in books and baby magazines isn't up to date with evidence-based research mm-hmm. and so you know i think um i know on facebook there are some groups that are run by people like me who are passionate about helping women get the right information so that might be a place to start. Otherwise, I actually started a website myself mm-hmm. called PregnancyAndGivingBirth.com. Okay. It's a work in progress, but I've tried to put information out there to help women become informed and make informed choices. PregnancyAndGivingBirth.com. And there are hyphens between each word. Okay, okay. Pregnancy hyphen and, and hyphen. giving hyphen birth.com. Dot com. Yeah. Well, I found a book called Home Birth, a Poemic. It's written by Ariel Greenberg and Rachel Zucker. Apparently, it's, it, it, it's, it's, and I, I haven't read it. I'm trying to get hold of it. Oh. But apparently, it has a lot of, lot of information. Okay. So maybe you should try and find it and, and let's see who, who can read it quicker so we can have, <laughs> yes. we can have this discussion again oh. but thank you so much Shirley for your time and and look I don't know what else you do but I, I really take my hat off for you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, your children are in in safe hands I think yeah I think you know all women must realize that their bodies are designed for birth and if they believe it and they're not afraid of birth then they take responsibility for their birth and they'll make good choices so yeah, that's my take-home message for people. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Shirley. All right. You take care now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Shirley Irvy, um, home births, homeschooling, she's all about home and the family. If you'd like more information on that home birth, pregnancy hyphen and hyphen giving birth hyphen dot com. I'm back after this. I want to give you some tips now that it's Women's Month and we're coming to the end of Women's Month. But what should what should your to-do list as a woman have this Women's Month after this? Otherwise, on SAFM. I've got a list here that I thought I should share with you because uh, Liberty Medical Scheme highlights five essential medical tests women should be aware of and have to assist in managing their health. Mammogram for breast cancer is the first one that should go on your list. Breast cancer is the most common cancer affecting South African women. Apparently, one in 35 women in the country will be diagnosed with it, according to the Cancer Association of South Africa. You should be doing monthly breast self-examinations. And starting when you're 20, your doctor should manually examine your breast at your regular checkup. From age 40, if you are symptom-free, have a mammogram, which is a special x-ray to detect lumps in the breast every two years. But if you have a family history of breast cancer, start screening earlier. Number two, bone density scan for osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is a crippling weakness of the bones, 
which can lead to bones becoming more susceptible to fractures, especially of the spine, hips and wrists. Women can lose up to 30% of their bone mass in the five to seven years following menopause. And in South Africa, one in three women will develop osteoporosis, according to the National Osteoporosis Foundation. Although there are usually no visible symptoms until a bone fracture, uh, Liberty Medical Scheme recommends a bone density test once every three years from the age of 50. Prevention and treatments include doing regular exercise, taking calcium and vitamin D, as well as other osteoporosis medications if needed. Number three, pap smear for cervical cancer, which is a preventable disease and is curable if detected and treated in its early stages. According to the South African National Cancer Registry, approximately one in 41 women in South Africa will, within their lifetime, develop cervical cancer. Number five, tests for colorectal cancer. Look out for symptoms such as rectal bleeding, a change in bowel habits such as constipation or diarrhea and abdominal pain, which could be a sign of colorectal cancer. Women in South Africa have a one in 150 chance of developing the disease and uh, the scheme recommends going for regular screening tests such as colonoscopy from the age of 50 every 10 years. The last one is cholesterol and blood pressure tests for heart disease. Simple blood tests can measure your cholesterol and assess your risk of heart disease. International guidelines recommend routine screening in women aged 50 years old. Gosh, being 50, <laughs> you have to go through all these tests. And or in postmenopausal women, if your LDL or bad cholesterol measures more than three MMOL, get tested annually. And uh, yeah, high blood pressure can also be an early indicator of heart disease and kidney failure. If you're 45 or older, overweight, diabetic, or if you're a smoker, you're also at increased risk. If your blood pressure is, is yeah, you may be developing hypertension. So take action as soon as possible. I thought I'd share that with you because I thought, you know, it's just very interesting. We're almost at the end of Women's Month, and maybe this is the time to really just make sure that you are in good health. And being a Tuesday, we were dealing with health issues. 